Welcome back, everyone. Time for another episode. Today, we got something special. Back on episode four, uh, we talked to Matt Kelly about an upcoming song that had not been released yet. It's called See You, uh, produced by Matt Kelly. Under our, well, he, Matt Kelly is featured with Deeds STL. That's D E E D Z. Look him up on YouTube. The song is called See You, and I would like to go ahead and introduce Deeds. Go ahead and say hello to everybody. How you doing? Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Appreciate you guys this time. Uh, we are happy to have you, brother. The reason we brought you in was to tell the story behind the, well, behind the music. We're having our own behind the music episode. What do you think of that? There you go, VH1 flashback. Man, got it. That is a flashback. I haven't, I haven't seen that show in so long. I, I haven't had cable in years. I don't think cue, cue, the, bub- cue the bubble pop-up is back. Is VH1 even still a thing? I don't know. I think oh, the yeah, channel exists. I think the channel exists, yep. but not those shows. Yeah, yeah, they don't actually put music on music television. Would, yeah, that would mean right. people make music videos. Yeah, no more MTV. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, you know, it's it's great if you want to see some drama, know, some you know, slutty family that uh, made their fame and fortune through a, you know, a, a, what was it? Oh, yeah, a, a famous lawyer who got off another celebrity off a, a double murder charge, and then they, you know, she Well, I mean, you got it, so... And, you got you got to be a little bit careful with kind of pointing the finger at the messenger because really it's a reflection a reflection of what humans want to see. Yep, the society as a whole. Exactly. Yeah. All right, deeds. Let's get into this, brother. Tell the story right. of how CU came about. Um. So I'll make a sh- uh, a long story out of it. I guess I think it's the best way to put it in context. I've been a musician all my life. I've been drawing music ever since coming in from kindergarten, watching my dad's play on his vinyl records and all that laid out in front of him. Um, used to record on two tape decks, would do any kind of musical thing I could do. Ended up picking up a bass in my teen years. Because I would make rap beats and be rapping and all kinds of stuff. And the reason I picked up a bass is because I didn't like the bass sounds on the computers and all that. So I started playing bass. Came across a um, couple bands over the years, did the touring, sleeping in the vans, gas station, whole baths in the bathrooms, baby wipes, eating ramen noodles, camping out in Utah underneath the stars, beautiful times. Long, long, long story short, I'm tried and true deep down in my roots, a musical kind of person whenever it comes to music. And that is my way of coping and dealing and making sense of emotional stuff and things through life. I can remember in my teen years where there was a band or two that saved my life, which I'm sure that's a, that's a typical thing you hear a lot of people say, but for some people it rings 100% true. Um, so 
I was also the guy that fully enjoyed touring, staying in the van, sleeping in tents and parks in between venues and all that stuff. So I was always the guy that was the one that was saying, I'm never going to have kids. Never wanted to have kids. I enjoyed other people's kids. It was fun. I didn't, I did not want my own two reasons for that. One, I didn't want the responsibility. Two is I'm a 40 year old, 16 year old. You know what I mean? As far as maturity in life and all that, I'm a late bloomer as a lot of guys, guys would be able to say. So I didn't think I was a father figure. I didn't think I was built for it, made for it. I didn't think I would reflect good on kids. And before um, we go any further, dudes, I was, why don't we go, go ahead. ahead and play the song so people have some context before you get any farther in this story? Sound okay. like a plan? Yeah. All right. For everyone's listening enjoyment, this is CU. Go ahead and kill the mics there, Jake.
right. All right, deeds. We got you back, brother. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Should I continue my story? Absolutely, please. So, my way of dealing with things is musically. That's the only way that I can truly get emotional release of some kind. And I just want to start off by saying, you know, from the bottom of my heart to Matt Kelly and Mike Bivens, without the two of you, I thank you so much. I would not have been able to achieve, I think, what, what I was able to achieve, what we were able to achieve together with this song. But So I was always the guy I never wanted kids. It, it was just not fathomable to me. I've made it throughout my entire life so far without having children. It just it wasn't in the stars for me. Um, my girlfriend at the time, who we were together for seven years, knew that. So one night I got in the bed, and the bed was shaking. I mean, shaking. Like somebody put a 25-cent quarter in a vibrating bed at a motel. Shaking. I sat there and I'm like, are you okay? And she sat in silence. And then finally she said, I'm pregnant. And my stomach dropped. And I had a typical man experience. I call it a typical man experience. A lot of other guys might like cry and are like, oh my God. I sat in silence for five minutes, five, 10 minutes probably. First words out of my mouth was, how does this happen? Because I'm just in dumbfounded disbelief. I think you know how it happened. So it's one of those things where I'm just like, I, I can't even comprehend it. Um, it takes me a couple days, but then it finally starts to click. I'm going to be a dad. And that's, that's huge. I start to realize things that I've missed in life, like hope and possibilities. And I started having flashes of now I'm paying attention when I'm driving by playgrounds and stuff and I'm watching dads with their kids. And there's this sense of happiness parents have that, I think people without kids don't have, but we don't understand it until you're exposed to it. So I started to understand that I'm going to be a dad, you know what I mean? And it really started to set in to the point to where at, at the time I was working at a job where I was making decent money, but I loved what I did, but I didn't make enough money to support a family. It was enough to support a guy that played in bands that had a girlfriend, but it wasn't enough to full-blown support a full-blown family the way that I knew that I needed to. Yeah, I think we've so, all been there. How about you, Chris? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I found a new job that was paying well. That was going to be a lot harder. It wasn't enjoyable, but it made money. But that's what it was about. So I switched jobs. Um, we go for the ultrasound, uh, get the first ultrasound, hear the heartbeat. She then found a ultrasound machine at the garage sale and brought it home. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's amazing because I had a recording, little home recording studio in my basement. So I took it downstairs, took her downstairs, looked up the ultrasound machine and recorded her heartbeat. And that's the heartbeat that's actually in the song. So everything's real to me. You know, I, I hear my child's heartbeat. I'm going to have a little girl, uh, so on and so forth. Um, long story short, um, now that I've, I've come to accept things, there were some, some things that had occurred where genetically... Um, she was high risk. So Emory was high risk. The whole pregnancy was high risk. Unfortunately, those risks came full circle and she was stillborn um, later in the pregnancy. And, you know, 10 fingers, 10 toes, toenails, eyes, lips, mouth. I held her. I could see her. I could hold her. I could feel her warmth. And it was just like... God ripped all of the hope 
and possibilities away in that split second, and he was showing me what could have been. That was my mindset at the time. Um, everything that I had planned in my mind was gone. Um, long, long story short, I demolished my relationship, um, lost focus of work, started turning to alcohol and drugs, relapsed on meth, you know, started trying to uh, fill that do, hole, do something to when I, when I was a kid, I was sexually abused and that fucked with me a lot. Excuse my French until I was a teenager and I came across corn and corn. I was, I was suicidal until I came across corn and Jonathan Davis had these words and this escape of emotion that matched the wavelengths that I was experiencing at the time. And that's, that's when I say that music saved my life. Corn, when I came across corn, I was at the lowest point. The second lowest point was whenever I came across Matt Kelly and Mike Wallace and Dan Thorne from Echoes from Ashes. I had walked away from music. This was after Emery was stillborn. I'd walked away from music. I wasn't finding enjoyment in anything whatsoever. And then a friend of mine called me and said, hey, I'm going to, he was a drummer. He said, hey, I'm going to practice with this guy. Try out for this little group that they have. They're looking for a drummer. You want to tag along? I said, you know what? Why not? I need to get out a little bit. I need to get up and get out. And I met Mike Wallace, who was the guitar player at the time for Failing Monica, which was their old band name, what they called. Me and him, me and him clicked. Uh, musically clicked. It had been a year. My bass was dusty. It had been a year since I played, and we immediately clicked. So there's a reason why people click. So afterwards, we talked for a little while, and then um, he invited me to a uh, storage facility where him, Dan Thorne, and Matt Kelly had this collective together, and they had some acoustical songs that they had played over the years under Family Monica and whatnot. But when I tell you what, man, when I heard Matt's voice and I heard the lyrics that that man said, I broke down inside and cried because it was the second time that the universe had reached out to me and said, Dan, there's more for you in life, and I'm going to show you. And it was the collective of Matt, Mike, and Dan that reignited my passion for music again. Um, the words and, and the truth that Matt would bring to, and he, he had his own demons, learning more about Matt and him ran very parallel with meth addictions and all kinds of stuff, but it was almost, the, the more I look at it now, it's almost like God, God knew not to have us meet back then because it would have been really bad. So it's like wait until you know we're we're later 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 in life. But so that goes from Ashes. They had they had a bunch of song ideas and all that and some acoustic things that they put together. But I tell you, I I could hear it. I could hear I could hear the full full band that produced music and it was music that people needed to hear. It had a message to it that was powerful that I knew that was open enough to touch people in ways that they needed to hear it at that time. But so. Echoes from Ashes became what it is, and there's a lot of meanings behind Echoes from Ashes, but the artwork, uh, the name in itself, um, with historically with Matt's sister, um, the drummer and, and the sister were together, and, and she passed away from, uh, sadly, from a drug overdose. So the name Echoes from Ashes all comes from, from our past. So, you know, what one would think on the surface that the reason me and Mike, Mike and Matt crossed ass and all that was for Echoes from Ashes. I disagree. I think that's a small part of it. I think the reason we all cross paths is so me and Matt, so Matt could help me process this. Matt, Matt came into a point in my life whenever 
I needed Matt to come into my life. And I think I came into Matt's life at, at the same time where we're, we're kind of helping each other. So I had this, when I came home from the hospital, um, you know, everybody's focused on, 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 on the girl as, as they should be. I'm not taking anything away from that, but I'm holding, I'm trying to hold strong, like, like men try to do, but there's something that that's very, um, toxic and it kind of eats you away inside. So I did what I knew how to do and I turned to music. So I wrote the music for CU, um, where the first part of the song is the just, just joy, the chord progressions and all that. It's just basically like the joy of finding out I'm going to be a dad and all that, but then it gets ripped away. And that's when you hit the bridge. Yeah, um, that bridge is, and then, is a, yeah, you, the, you can the feel it is, in your soul. The bridge is literally the transition from going through the process of grief to the anger and the shock. And I, I, I didn't care about life anymore or anything like that. I was tearing up my basement. And then I had this overwhelming feeling of peace over me, which I tried to capture within that bridge. And I don't know if that's Emory, the universe, God, call it whatever you want. It was a moment that washed over me that I found a little bit of relief. I kind of pulled back from the edge just about. And then over the years, I tried to write lyrics, but I could never say what I wanted to say properly. How do you say, how do you say, I love you and I'll see you when I see you, but I have to let go. You know, how do, how do, how do you say that in, in a way that makes you feel like I've said that and I can, I can actually hang my hat on that? Well, I couldn't. So I would, I would write, I would scratch out. I would write, I would scratch out. So I had a melody ideas. I had a couple lyrics and I got with Mike Bibbins and I said, look, I have, I have this song. This is what it's about. Um, I have her heartbeat. I want her heartbeat to be a part of the song. I want her heartbeat to basically be a blueprint of the song if possible. So if you listen to the song, the beat of the song is modeled after her heartbeat. The heartbeat is basically throughout the entire song. Um, but then I sat down with Matt and I explained to him, this is what I'm trying to portray. These are some of the words that I have. This is a clip of the melody idea that I have. And this is what I'm trying to say. Now, Matt, Matt is a beautiful artist. He has his demons. He has demons on him all the time. But one thing they cannot stop that man from doing is writing some of the most beautiful words and putting melody to them that you'll ever hear compared to a lot of different artists out there. I, I tell you what, there's two things about CU. One is the lyrics that you hear are 95% of the first draft. Two is the vocals that you hear. 95% is the very first take that he recorded. He's, he's, he's that good at what he does when he believes in something with his heart and when he's doing something from the heart. She was basically the path of going through the process of grief from start to finish. Now, where I'm at now, I still have a giant hole. I still struggle some days, but I'm to the point now to where the lyric in the song that says, you are the breath of my life. For years, I lived underneath that pretense where that was the only thing that defined me. But I've reached a point now where she is a breath of my life. But I have so much more to give that she and the universe and the goddess and God's telling me 
that, no, this isn't it for you, Daniel. These are lessons that you have to learn for, to put to put to use in some way in the future now. Is that is that so we can have this conversation right now? And so your sister can hear my story and maybe relate? I don't know. Yeah. That that I don't know. But I know that there there is more. There is a reason for all this. There's a reason why I crossed paths. There's a reason why Echoes and Ashes came to be. There's a reason why I've learned these hard lessons through life. And, and if it is so I can, I could be help for other people, well, then so be it. That's what I'm built for. Well, brother, I'm, just to let you know, she's been here in tears the entire time. Stephanie, tell them what you got to say. So, Stephanie, I can't, Stephanie, I can't speak to your situation as an individual situation, but just know that the energy that you feel when you close your, close your eyes, that's them. They, they feel you. They love you. They want you to live your life. That they are a breath of our life, but they are not the breath of our life. And there, there comes a time, man, for, for years I blamed her. I, blame, I flat out told her before I left her that I blame you. I, I know I shouldn't, but I do. And I blame myself. And still to this day, I still do, but I know that's not logical. So I allow that little voice in my head to go ahead and say, yeah, it's her fault. But I, I know. I know it's not. I know that's just me trying to put blame on something I don't understand. Because that's what we have to we have to understand. And if we don't understand, we don't have a finger to point, we're lost. And we turn to things that we try to fill the void with drugs, alcohol, sex, money, you name it. All the things that don't matter. So I think what's most important is be aware of the void and you you'll be strong enough to carry it with you. But just know that you know, live your life for them and because of them. We all make mistakes. It's just life. It's just life. You know, 15 years later, and I'm still not fully aware of what happened with her. All I know is that she lost a child. I don't know the specifics behind it. You know, and that's something that might forever stay between her, that child, and God. There's some things that we'll never find the answers for, that we'll never understand. And God forbid you find an answer you don't want to know. So what if the answer was God was like, yeah, you aren't fit to be a dad. Your, your, your goal in life is for me to run you through the ringer. So you're, so you're calloused enough to help someone else. Well, that's the case. Okay. But for years and years and years, I, 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 I fought it. I, I felt, no, I was suicidal. No. I don't want to be around and deal with this. I don't want to deal with these feelings, this emptiness. But there's, there's two sides to every coin. I appreciate the breeze. I appreciate the sunrise now. When I can hear the, the wind going through the trees, like right now, 
I think it's her. I think it's God reminding me that I'm alive and we're just a blip in time. So make the most of it. So I applaud people like you. Thank you, Shannon, with the, with the podcast. It takes a lot of courage, man, to put yourself out there. Yeah, I mean... We only, have time, we only have time to lose and we only have regrets to gain. You know, it, it 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 gets tough to 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 hear some of the stories that we sit through, and Chris can definitely attest to that. He's, and Jake, you, yeah. But I think the entire goal is to show that, despite adversity, the. There, there's a way that we can all succeed in life. We we can all get through it, and a lot of times it's 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 a hell of a lot harder than yeah. th- than you want it to be. Absolutely, and PTSD is no joke. No matter where it stems from, it is it is a scar on your soul that is triggered in various various ways that sometimes, you know, last a lifetime. And that, that, that can come from war internally or externally. It can come from anything in life. So I, 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 I battle with it. I don't have any doubts whatsoever that your sister is scarred in some way. That that's one of the hardest things. How, how do you process that? You know, so you run from it. You can't run from it because it's just like if you hurt your ankle and you hobble around for three weeks, your hip starts hurting and your back starts hurting because you're compensating for something. So once you once you start trying to compensate for something and fill that void, you're just going to throw something else off. So the one thing I started to do, and I'll go ahead and throw it out there since we'll be an open, is for years I was on antidepressants, anti-anxiety meds, and bipolar meds. So I started to experiment with psychedelics. Not in the sense of, hey, man, I'm going to trip and listen to some great for bed and look at the stars on my feelings. No. In the sense of, I've read many, many articles of people with PTSD, depression, and anxiety as it helps realign the chemical balance in your brain. So now to the Saturday night at a party, did I eat a couple grams of mushrooms? No, I went out in the middle of the woods by myself in Mark Twain Forest. Mm. with a fire and my acoustic guitar for a weekend. And on Saturday, I ate three grams of mushrooms. And I I don't want to get too deep into it because the moment you start talking about psychedelics, you can sound like a really, really weird person. But I walked away from that learning a lot. Learning about life, learning about the connectivity between people, learning about energies, learning about electricity that flows through us that gives us life. And learning that there's more to life than our emotional scars. And that there's two sides to every single coin. And it's important to make sure that you try to find the other side. Because the one side you might be looking at might be very, very bad, but there's a beautiful side on the other side. And I I wish I would give anything right now to be old my baby. But at the same time, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you guys. Stephanie wouldn't be affected by my song. She might not have some sense of hope in listening to it. There's people's messages on my YouTube video that have found some hope in it from listening to it. There's people that I've touched 
that if that would have occurred, none of this would have happened. So how do you tip those scales? You know? So that, that was one of the things. Is how do I stop doing the what-ifs? Do the what-ifs will kill you. Mm-hmm. So I can stare at a wall all day with what-ifs. So I don't think those, I've ever those. I don't think I've ever shared this story, but uh, I can kind of relate. I mean, growing up, obviously, I, everyone kept asking me, "When are you going to have kids?" When because I was still twenty five and didn't have anything, and I said, "No." There's I, I finally found my excuse was I said, "There's not enough Nissans on this earth for me to have children." Sure. But because uh, well, I've already taken out one Datsun and one Nissan from this earth. But uh, 26, I did have a child, and the mother of that child had just gotten done getting over a stillborn. And not only just a stillborn, was an etopic. So they actually took one of her ovaries. So then when we did actually get pregnant, she immediately went into high risk because her last one was etopic. And she only had one ovaries, so she was immediately high risk. And on top of that, the child, my oldest, got my blood type, which was not compatible with hers, so it made it a very difficult nine months pregnancy. But four months into the pregnancy, I was at work. I was working overnight, and she went to walk our dog, a little six-month-old Pembroke Corgi. And that little dog got between her and a baby copperhead. And that baby copperhead overvenomed. We were upstairs in an apartment and from the 12 foot walk from the tree, the trunk of the tree to the the steps, the dog couldn't make it up to the top step. It was lethargic. She rushed it to the vet and, you know, I I didn't know any of this because I was at the, at work and, uh, so the next checkup we went, we asked, we said, hey, theoretically, had, had the snake bitten her, they said, oh, yes, you would have lost the child. So uh, we definitely gave wow. that corgi, definitely gave that corgi a, a, a pampered, spoiled life for the next 10 years of his life. And he watched over that little girl. That's amazing. That's amazing. So I, I, That's what I, I mean. I've been there. I, I, I can kind of relate. I didn't personally have a loss, but I've helped people who have gone through a loss. Mm-hmm. We all know someone who who's lost. And it's part of the struggle is too, is so like, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but if I'm just going to be honest here. So when I was at the hospital, you know, I, I called my mom and stuff. So I wanted somebody up there and, and 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 then nobody came up there. So her her family was up there, but I didn't have any of mine. So it it all happens. I I hold her for twenty four hours. I didn't let her go to where the nurses told me we have to take her now. Um, but if 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 nobody sees her, if nobody sees me in that moment, it's not real to them. It's real to me. It's not real. It's not real to anyone else. So you have something that is so real to you. But the moment you start talking about it, it's instantly like, yeah, I know. I know someone's has miscarriage. I know someone's has miscarriage. It's pretty sad. But it's like, 
no, you don't understand. I, I held my daughter. I, I counted her toes. I saw her fingernails. Like, she was real. But everybody else was like, yeah, I meant miscarriage happened. It's okay. Why is it such a big deal, Dan? Why is it just a miscarriage? You have another baby. Don't worry about it. You know, you, you, I, don't, I don't know if it's just a man thing. Being, to me, when someone would tell me, just have another baby, who, who do you think you are? Because to me, I'm instantly defensive of Emory. Who are you? Who are you to dismiss Emory? My daughter that I held. Again, I saw her hair. I saw her toes. I have pictures of her feet. She was real. So I guess part of part of the, the the therapeutic process of CU was that was my way of making her real to everyone else. Because there's some form of this probably isn't even the right word justification, I guess, that it's like, yeah, she, once my mom heard it, she bawled. Because I guarantee she has been suppressing some things. She did, she was very upset by the whole thing. She didn't want to expose herself to it, so I wasn't there. So over the years, when she would tell me, oh, it's okay, I don't understand why you're so upset. But when she heard the song, I think it really hit her on, on how real it was. Not only just in general, but to me and how much it really had affected me over the years. To see you in a way is a way to embody Emery Joe and make her alive and touch people in ways that she might not have been able to. You know, a way, a way to truly, a truly leave a legacy in some fashion or form. What's on your mind, Stephanie? What he's saying is having some effect on you. What's on your mind? Sometimes you can't put it in the words. She might just be nodding. Well, it's... Mine didn't have anything to do with high risk or anything like that. Um... The man but that, they're real. Yeah, the man that married me. I mean, it, it's crazy. Um, we tried. She was planned. And we got married when I was five months pregnant. And I didn't want to have a baby out of wedlock. And a month after we were married... It was really messed up. I don't I don't understand. I didn't understand what was going on or who he really was until eight years later. But he was at the time the manager or the boss of the company that I worked with. My brother got me a job at Upstage Center setting up lighting and stages for concerts and local techs out in Houston. Yeah. And he was my boss. And, uh, so we were living, we were living bad. Um, 
we were living with a methamphetamines dealer. Of course, everybody did that back then. And, um, but there was this girl that wanted him because I had him. I found out she was sleeping with him behind my back when I would go to sleep in my house. And one night, I had to get up because I felt my body. It was like, it was like I got shocked, like, like, like I was getting electrocuted. And I had to get up on my bed, and I grabbed the, the headboard. And my body was in shock for like three whole minutes. It was like a, a, like lightning hit me or something. And I put two and two together. You know, I had to come up with something that happened. I, I had to find a reason. And God kept telling me that, that she did that. She put some meth in one of my drinks and killed my daughter and took what I had because she couldn't stand it. She couldn't stand that he was my husband and there's always women out there that, that can't they, they always want what you have because Anyway, she was dead inside me for three days before I, I, could, I stopped feeling her. And I was like, something's wrong. I don't feel her. She's not moving. I don't know what's wrong. And so we went to the doctor. And the doctor said, I don't hear a heartbeat. She's gone. I'm so sorry. And I said, okay. So when, when I had to, you know, when he, he had to, the doctor had to get around me. Um, it's like every, I was in and out of consciousness. I was, I was laying on a bed by myself, bleeding to death. The door was locked. My mom was in there by herself. Somebody locked the door, wouldn't let my husband in, and then my mom said that he just left. He couldn't deal with it. They wouldn't let him in. And he went home or whatever. I don't even know where he went. But I was laying there almost dead, bleeding to death. My mom fell asleep. And then about after, I don't even know how long after that, he comes home and he says, you can have everything in the apartment. I don't want it. I have to go. I'm leaving. And he got on his motorcycle and he took off and he left. But before that, I don't know if this is true because I can never believe anything she said, but my aunt says she heard the dealer and my husband outside talking one night. And she says, Stephanie... I heard them talking, and Stephen told him 
She said, I heard him say, I need you to take care of one more thing for me. I need you to do this for me. I need you to take care of one more thing. And that one more thing was that. Because eight years later, I found out that he was an undercover DEA agent, and he was only marrying me and with me so he could bust some dealers. So my whole marriage, everything was fake. And when I went to the funeral, I had to bury her. I went and bought her. I went to the store and bought her. I had to pick up one of those dolls, you know, and I found a little baby doll that had a glow-in-the-dark dress. And that's what I buried her in. I had pictures of her. She had platinum blonde hair and blue eyes. Her name was Hannah. Beautiful name. Hannah Rain, R-A-N-E. And I don't even know. I think those pictures are at my mom's now. I don't even know where they are anymore. But I had pictures too, and then um, I opted against having her buried so I could keep her ashes with me. Well, after they're five months, you you have to give them a burial. After five months and up, if they're stillborn. So, yeah. And I just... It's it's so real to us. And just there's, there's a lot of people that when I tell you, you know, just give it time. Or, you know, things will be okay. Or miscarriages happen all the time. You gotta be real careful because you don't know what other people's situations are really like. You don't know what it is they're going through or what extent their situation is. And it's just, it's really easy to be callous and careless and, and thoughtless to the point when you're like, someone shares something with you, but it's, it's very real and it's something we carry with us for the rest of our lives. And especially the what, I still have the what ifs. And I'm sure you do too. Yeah, and I think, well, maybe, maybe that's God's way of saying, "Hey, she's she's gonna go be with your dad." I buried her next to my dad, and I was like, "Well, they can be together. They can be next to each other, and they can, whatever, be in heaven together." And. Then he had to move because I guess he busted his dealers or whatever, his people, and, and um, blew his cover and uh, had the audacity to contact me and say, hey, do you want to reconcile the marriage? What do you think would have happened if we would have stayed together, blah, blah, blah. And... Of course, I fell for it again. I went and moved to Oklahoma, where he was, 
He got me pregnant again. And then he told me, I'm not working right now. We can't do that. You need to get an abortion. So he did it to me twice. Did he force you, did he force you to get an abortion? Yeah, he didn't even want to pay for it either. So I had to get my son's. Um, my son's grandmother on my my son's dad's uh, side. She gave me the money and she took me to get an abortion. And I never spoke to him again. And I'll never get married again. And I'll never trust anybody again to do that. Well, yeah, but you also never know. I stopped short of saying seeing things like that because one night I went down in my basement saying I wasn't going to see the next day. And I'm talking to you right now. So, though you might feel that way, that, you know, don't say what if. I think what what's most important when it comes to, to to things in life like that that it's really really important that you take a step back and you're honest with yourself about situations like that. I had to I had to walk away from stuff like that because I knew I was getting myself in way too deep. I was doing meth way too much. I was smoking it too much. I was snorting it too much. I was selling it too much. I would get in meth clouds or like a Xanax cloud where you do it for, you know, a week or two, three weeks. Yeah, Once you was... sober up for a day or two and you look back, you're like, what the hell just happened over the past two, three weeks? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's important to know that you're made for more than that. And the reason that you're turning to that is because you're trying to fill something. Yeah, I told and you even though the even though the journey to finding what that something is can be exhausting and break you down to nothing, the result of finding what your purpose is far outweighs any immediate relief you get from trying to fill the void. I promise you. And you also learn things about yourself and see yourself in ways that you didn't think you would. I promise you. But it's important that first and foremost, you're upfront and honest with yourself. Because at the end of the day, there's nobody that you answer to other than God himself, other than yourself. You don't answer to anybody else. You don't answer to your brother, your ex, your boyfriend. When you're laying there with your eyes closed, it's just you and God. That's who you answer to. That's who you disappoint. That's who you let down. Yeah, he, he knew. So once, once, once you learn, once you learn, you know, once you learn to love and respect yourself on that level, and, and be real with yourself. I don't know. Maybe that, maybe that's just, you know, something we learn as, as, you know, we're getting older. I don't know. Is that just a life lesson that once we lose the young and dumb and invincible kind of thing, we start to catch on to, I don't know. Is it because we're covered in scars? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but my, my family never understood why I just started getting high all the time. And they just thought, Oh, she's just getting high. She's just strung out. They never understood why. I died that day when 
I, I buried myself with her. The Stephanie that I was died that day, and I was never, I've never been the same. Never been the same, and I never will be. You're not the same. And to try and be the same person is, I don't say this to be ignorant towards you, it's naive. You will never be the same. Just like people that go through anything scarring like that, and the, the number one thing that we, and I say we, that we say is, I wish I could be who I was last year. I wish I could be when I was in high school. I wish I was so carefree just five years ago. It's because you've, you've evolved since then. You're different. You're not the same. You're, you're different today than you were yesterday. You've learned something. You've picked something up. You've processed an emotion in a different way that causes your reaction towards someone in a certain typical conversation setting to be different than what it would normally be. And to strive to always be who you used to be is a line in my song where I say, if you're always looking backwards, you can't grow. Because you're literally walking backwards, looking backwards, and you can't see where you're going. So you're going to trip. You're going to fall. Because you're constantly looking backwards at who you used to be as opposed to who you are and who you're, who you're going to be. You can, you can be anything you want to be in the world. You are, right now, you are the most educated person at whatever subject you want to be and the most toned, muscular person and healthy that you ever wanted to be. In some form, you just have to manifest it. You have to go for it. You have to get it. You have to do that work. You have to study whatever that subject is. You have to do the work with the diet. You have to do the work with the exercise. And then three years from now, that person is sitting across from me. So instead of chasing who you were last year, why not project the new you? Yeah, I would never chase who I was last year or who I was in the last 20 years, for that matter. You know, and start off small. You know, one thing you can do is for the next week, I'm going to try and force a positive vibe. So what are you going to do? I'm going to wake up every morning. I'm going to put on three Fleetwood Mac songs, and I'm going to dance. Nice. You know, that... that, This isn't something you got to do alone, either. This is, you know, God is there, and he wants to help you. He wants to help us all. I can't hear you. Sorry. I, I said this isn't something we have to do alone either. This is something God's no. God's waiting for us to ask Him for our, for help, and if we ask Him, He'll do it. He'll help us. He'll be there with us every step of the way. Yeah. Now, now, okay. So I don't want to get into any type of religious debate here. So I, I everything I say, I'm about to say respectfully. I'm a spiritual person. I I was raised Catholic. Bible, front side to back, calling the arts baptism, yada, yada, yada. I think there is a certain line that you have to draw in the sand that says, God empowers me to heal myself and God will heal me. But part of this healing that I'm doing is also me healing myself. Because if you don't allow yourself to embrace the power that God has given you to heal yourself, you see yourself as less than what you are. And you were made in God's image. And we have the power to heal, heal ourselves. So that's where it's 50-50. You, you have to be able, you have to be willing to do it. And God will give you the ability to do it and the energy to do it. But if you don't do it, it's not going to happen. Yep. I would say the way, you know the I, mean? way I say it is God's not a genie in a bottle. You know, he's not just going to wave his magic wand and it's, it's going to be done for you. But he's going to step through it with you. 
Yeah, I interpret it as uh, he can show you the door, but you have to walk through it. Right, right, exactly. It's that old saying, you can take a horse to a river, but you can't force it to drink. Mm. So those those past eight years, Stephanie, they do not define you. Your thoughts do not define you. Those things that happen to you do not define you. They're something that happened to you, and they're something that you went through. But there's lessons to be learned from those. They might not be good, but there's two sides to every coin. The dark isn't dark without the light. The light isn't bright without the dark. If you, if you don't have the sour, how can you appreciate the sweet? Yeah. So it's really, really important to know when you're stuck and to kind of help yourself move past it and don't allow yourself. To. Now, there's a difference between sitting with your grief and sitting in your grief. Uh, back when I was talking about how I, I would, you know, once or twice a year, I would go out to Mark Twain and I would consume mushrooms because what I found is the mushrooms would make me sit with all those things that I would block, that I would push deep down. All those walls that I would put up would be tore down and the universe would say, Deep, here's your life. Here's what you're hiding. Here's what you're pushing down. Here's what you're suppressing. Now I want you to sit with it for the next three hours. And I would. Because you, you, you learn to appreciate it. It it doesn't have it doesn't have to define you. It's something that happened to you. But you can move past it or you can decide to stay with it. And that's what I mean by sitting in something. It's your choice to sit with something and then allow yourself to eventually move past it. But if if you're sitting in something, that's when it's a matter of, okay, do you really realize that you're sitting in it or are you doing it by choice? Some people love misery. I don't know why. It helps them feel alive. But misery will also, you can cut a tree down with a toothbrush. Misery will wear any person down over time. It's toxic. I just didn't care. I didn't care about anything. I didn't care about myself. I was I was so angry for a very long time. So I didn't care about nothing. Mm-hmm. I still worked. I still tried. I still, but I was very, I was, I was very angry. I was very angry, aggressive. It's those, it's those small moments. To me, it could be completely wrong. Life is equal to falling down the face of the cliff. Every once in a while, you get hold. You, you get a hold. But the remainder of the time, we're all just falling. None of us have any idea what the fuck we're doing. We're all winging it. Right. I thought when I was a kid talking to adults, they all had everything straight. I'm 40 years old now looking back going, they didn't have any idea what they were talking about. Yeah, none of us do. You know, we're all just, know, we're maybe, all just kind of winging it to the, to the best of our ability. Uh. <laughs> but, you know, in, in, in closing, CU was my way of, of dealing and processing the grief and without Matt to help put those into actual words and without Michael Bivens to take the musical idea and, and fully create it to what I heard, you know, it would be locked inside of me. I don't, I don't know what that would manifest to. I don't know if I'd be sitting here talking to you guys. I, I don't know, but I, I wanted to put it out, not for recognition for me, but 
one to say, Hey, even though I don't say it all out, and Emery's Emery's real. She's as real as can be. And also that the song is generalized to the point when you listen to it to where other people can relate to some type of loss they may have in their life. That it's it's really important to sit with the sadness, but also set the sadness aside and move on with your life and carry them, carry, carry the memories and stuff with you. Carry some of the what ifs because I smile when I think about me pushing my little girl on a swing. I smile thinking of her coming off the bus and running up to me. I wonder what her smile would look like. I wonder what color her eyes would be, but I don't, I don't sit in that anymore because I, I, I'll never know. So why, why continue to ask the questions that don't have answers? And God forbid I find an answer that I don't want to know. Yeah. I think that's a good way to end it there, Deeds. So I, w- I wish there was a way to kind of kind of lift the energy here, but no, you know, no, actually, I send, you, you, I send all know. my all my love, all my peace. You know, Stephanie, it's it, it's a hard thing, but it's really important to talk about it and and share with other people around you. But you know, at the end of the day, it's just us with ourselves and God. And it's really important that even if you don't fully forgive yourself, you acknowledge that you aren't fully at fault for anything that had occurred. Yeah, you told and me on the phone last week that uh, if you could just help one person with this song. Mm-hmm. I've forgiven myself. That's, 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 that's the goal for all the Echoes from Ashes music. The, the, the fame and fortune, the touring, the money, the popularity is secondary to being proud of a message that you're putting out musically and, and lyrically that touches people in a way that may change someone's life. Even if it is a minor, it makes their morning a little bit better. Uh, they relate in some way because they have PTSD that relates to whatever that is, is worth way more than any printed paper that another man could give me or any type of, hey, deeds, good job. Because that's how you leave a legacy in life is by touching other people and make, making a difference. Caring about your fellow man and giving a shit enough to go, hey, are you okay? Or can I help in any way? That, that's what we're here for is love. Spread love, caring. That's why I have so much hope with the future generations and the younger generations and a lot of these movements that are kind of like, yeah, whatever. But it's just, it's showing that there's, there's, there's hope for humanity yet. We haven't fully lost touch with what we were created for, and that was to lift each other up and make this world a good damn place for you know everybody to live in. I'll end it with that, though. <laughs> yeah, if I have people to go, hey, you know, this happened to you, and you wait, you know, I actually understand why I had the issues for all this time, all these years, and why I've struggled. I've, I've. I have a lot of mental problems, but I've nobody's ever taken the time to go, hey, let's go get you diagnosed and let's go um, let's go see how we can help you. And there was it's always just been 
why can't you get your life together? And why can't you do this? And, and why do you do this? And why do you do this? And why do you just keep on doing this? And you don't have a place to live and you don't have this. And just keep telling me what I don't have and what I've lost. So can I, ask, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Have you ever taken yourself? No, I'm going to, um, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have health insurance here in Texas. It's very hard and I'm going to have to go to a different state to do that because I know. So, so, so the issue, so the issue is money, money. Yeah. And so, you know, you could apply for Medicaid here if you're, if you don't have an income. Yeah. And, but not here. They don't do that anymore. They don't do adult Medicaid. When I moved to Oregon, when I was homeless for 13 months, um, I got Medicaid in 10 minutes and everything was covered. I got an inhaler for my asthma because I was having really bad asthma attacks. But I know there's a lot that is wrong with me. And, you know, my boyfriend keeps telling me, he's like, you need to go, you need to come here, because he lives in West Virginia, you need to come here, and they'll help you, Stephanie, they've helped me with all his problems, he's got, he's got bigger issues than I could, that I can even say right now, um, but they've helped him, and we're so much alike, he's like, I know the same thing that's wrong with me is wrong with you. You have PTSD, you have anxiety, you have, I, I mean, he just kept naming off. I don't know, because I, I need a diagnosis. I need to know so I can get help. But especially now that I'm not doing drugs anymore, it's. Uh, so, so what, here's, here's one, one of many things I can tell you is anxiety and all that, um, your depression and all that is the fruit of whatever the actual cause is. There's a trigger that is triggering all of that. And going to a doctor, we'll get your diagnosis and also probably get you about 17 different man-made scripts. And I'm not doing that. That we use to try and control whatever the fruit of what the actual cause is. I refuse to. It's to really, be. really important that you you turn to your, and start doing some self-exploration through whether that either be meditation um, looking in, into different things like that. Groups and, and, and therapy help. Trying to identify the root cause of what's causing all of that. Because you can slap duct tape on, on a blown out tire, but you still got a blown out tire with duct tape. Yeah, you can't so you, stick you a might band-aid still on end it and expect a, it to be okay. Just... Yeah, you, you, you might end up as a bipolar chick on Wellbutrin and Xanax. No. So that, that might not be what you what you need. That's not what I need. Yeah. And some of us, some of us, frankly, we're wired that way. We're wired kind of crazy. That's just how we are. Well, and, and I, yep. you know, my mom says I take after my dad. You know, I'm aggressive and, you know, but <laughs> anger issues. But, yeah, I'll get it figured out really soon. I'm working on it right now. I'm in the process of trying to figure that out. Yeah, the only thing that's important is you push one domino at a time. Yeah. You can't walk a mile without taking a step. At least take a step. You might not take another step right away, but at least take one step. And then remember, you have to take another step sooner or later. And then yeah. just keep, mm -hmm. keep going.
but don't sit in it. And know that at the end of the day, it's just you and God. And you're the only person you can truly let down. So make sure you have high expectations for yourself. Because I guarantee you're a kick-ass person. I guarantee you have a beautiful story about you. I guarantee you're special and unique from the three of us. Yeah, I can promise you. I don't know what you look like. I've never met you in person. But I can promise you. Well, you know, guys, I'll, I'll like that. Hey, Chris and Jake, I'm having a hard time on this one. Who's our badass this week? I say the both of them were telling their story. Yeah, yeah, they're both badasses. Yeah, for surviving. Yep. Thank you. What it's all about. We're all surviving together. It's you and Matt. Keep it up, brother. Keep doing what you're doing because what you've done with this is it's magical. That's something. Don't be afraid to tell you. Don't don't be afraid to tell your story. Yeah, that's what we're all about. It's getting the stories out there, isn't it, guys? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I can't thank you enough for, for reaching out to me, you know, in, in the very beginning, because I was, you know, I didn't mean to come across rude, so I hope you didn't come across rude, but I didn't even know who you were when you messaged me. And so I was like, who are you? You're like, we need to talk and, we, and you need to call me right now. And I'm like, who the fuck is this dude? <laughs> yeah. He has, he has a way about him doing that. Uh, he thinks he can tell people like, no, I just, uh, <laughs> I'm not afraid to ask. I'm not afraid to say, hey, here's something that needs to happen. Yeah. Well, I'm glad glad you pursued it. I'm I'm very glad that we spoke uh, because evidently there was a reason for it. And I'm happy to share my story with you guys. I'm happy to share it finally because there might be other people. And I know whenever it comes to men, when it comes to this, it's almost taboo to talk about. And you don't always think about the guy. But guys, guys hurt just as much and there's a sense of hope and stuff that gets pulled away from us that it's okay to talk about it it's okay to share it to know that there's other people out there there's the biggest comfort we can find in knowing that there's someone else that can relate is that's why we need each other that's why we have to stay with each other and love each other but i appreciate you guys having me on very much it was nice talking to you deans we do appreciate you all right, so look us up online. Website is thebourbonbadass.com. Parlor, also at thebourbonbadass. Instagram, same deal. Facebook, same. Check us out. Reach out to us, thebourbonbadass at gmail.com. If you want uh, to give any kind of thoughts on this, you want to reach out to Deeds, you want to reach out to, to Stephanie. Give any kind of words of encouragement or let us know how this helped you. We'd all certainly appreciate it. On that note, everybody, God bless. And let's just try to have a good one. Moving on with it.